First impressions. First impressions of Jesus. That's what we've been focusing on. I was thinking back, though, I was thinking of this great scene that we're going to talk about in a moment where there is this encounter between Jesus and the devil. And I would ask you this morning, what are, what are your first impressions of the devil? I'm going to take you back. This is, think, big hair, big cars, the 1980s. I'm a high school student, and I want to tell you about my, inf- my first encounter with really learning and thinking seriously about the devil. Welcome to church. What an opening, right? <laughs> but I was in a youth group, and the youth pastor, with the best of intentions, showed us this video about backward masking. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have no clue what I'm talking about here? It's where, you know, they had records, these round things, and you'd play them backwards. Okay, the classic example was Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven, and when you played it backwards, according to some, you got this kind of weird 666 and Satan stuff. And I remember sitting in youth group and thinking about that, and it makes all the sense in the world when you've already got the words up there, and yeah, you can, you can make the connection. But I left there thinking, seriously? you got to be kidding me. And as I went off to college, I'm like, I don't think that's legit. And I started to ask more questions. And part of what it did for me, and again, best of intentions, but I think when we talk about evil, we talk about the devil, sometimes we do this, we don't take it seriously. And for me... I. This was before the internet. I couldn't go back and fact check and do all the research and all that. But it seemed like a stretch to me. It's like there's plenty of things in the music I listen to just playing it forwards (laughs) that you could probably call into question. I'm not hating on those bands of the 80s, right? But when you think about that, sometimes we do that when we talk about the devil. We we don't take it seriously. C.S. Lewis I, I think he's right. He said there's two equal and opposite errors. One is to say the devil's behind everything, but the other is to turn him into a cartoon or to be dismissive. And for me, I'm just speaking for myself, that made me feel dismissive towards the reality of the evil one. And I had to come back and actually read the Bible and try to understand it. Well, today, we're going to look at this uh, powerful encounter that Jesus has. And I want to take you to Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Now last week we spent some time taking a look at Jesus as he was baptized by John the Baptist. And he's, you know, we, we see this beautiful picture of The father saying, you are my son, whom I love, and whom I am well pleased. We looked at the genealogy of Jesus, and we're trying to understand Jesus in his full divinity and his full humanity. He's 30, and he's getting ready to start his public ministry. But he's going to have this encounter as he starts. 
So we're going to make some observations around the text this morning, get some first impressions, and then we'll look at the impression that Jesus leaves on us. So Luke 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Great understatement of the Bible. He was hungry. What do we see in Jesus? We see him in his full humanity. He was really hungry. Anybody ever fasted? Not like a a one-day fast, but a 40-day fast. I'm shaking my head no too. That's a long time. He was really hungry in all of his humanity. He's also still the Son of God. So in some ways, when we look at Jesus fully God, in some ways this is unique. I'm not Jesus. You're not Jesus. We don't face that exact temptation. At the same time, in his humanity, in some ways, this is a common encounter. In some ways, this is something that we can learn directly from. And there's different ways of looking at this account and and fully grasping the, the full humanity and the full deity of Jesus. But as one commentator said, there were no special resources open to Jesus at the time. So what does that mean? It's, it's not like he was Clark Kent that could just turn into Superman at any time. That he has the same, he's got the word, he's got the spirit, just as we do. And there's a lot we can learn from that. Now we get into some rarefied territory when we start talking about Jesus being fully God and fully man and understanding that fully But I think we can say with confidence that we can learn from him in his example. He's in a spiritual battle. He is being led by the Spirit. And at the same time, he is being tempted by the devil. That's a reality that we all face. Led by the Spirit tempted by the devil. Let's look at it. Verse 3. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. What's the nature of this temptation? If God said, hey, you are my son, you really are my son, what's the evil one do? Is this really true? Prove it. He's trying to get him to doubt. Do a trick to satisfy your hunger. I want us to pause and consider for a moment how the devil may tempt us. Part of what he does is he tries to get us to doubt. Are you really a child of God? Is my love real? Can I really be forgiven? 
Jesus answered, verse 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Now what Jesus is doing here, it is written. He is going back to the Word. And in particular, what Jesus has in mind, okay, I referenced the passage during our dedication. Deuteronomy 6 through 8, he's, what he has in his mind, this, this frame, this filter that has shaped him, where Moses is teaching the people and saying, this is what really is going to matter. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The rest of that, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What an example. As he's hungry, real hungry, man does not live on bread alone, but on the word of God. Now, we can, we can go forward and we can see how Jesus himself is the word, the divine logos, as John will tell us, that he is the bread of life. He is the source for us. Now, as Jesus is quoting these, we're, we're, we're looking back and we will see a contrast between the Israelites who would wander in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus would be in for 40 days. He would be the obedient one. So he will fight with the Word. That's why I love that verse in Deuteronomy 6 about impressing these words on our children, in our everyday life, not just in a church building, not just on Sundays, but in all that we do. Reminds me as well of the psalmist, Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What a great passage. And when we think about being fueled by the, the word, it is a source for us, and it is more than simply the commandments. It's not less than, but it is more than simply the do's and the don'ts. But there is a particular kind of food that we are to be nourished by. And, when, you know, whenever I think of food, it's like, what kind of food do you like to eat? The kind that you like to eat. <laughs> if I had a bag of Doritos right up here, how many of you would be like, you're salivating a little bit. Give me those Doritos. If I had some steamed broccoli... What would you choose? Okay. Lean, healthy, protein, vegetables, or junk food. Okay. We need the real stuff. Not just the chips that just make us want more. All that evil stuff that's in them that just creates, I want more, I want more, I want more, I want more. But I'm never satisfied. Friends, I don't think it's really any different with the Word of God. May we be nourished by it. 
Let's continue. Luke 4, 5. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. What's the temptation? Worship. Change what you give ultimate worth to. It's our temptation too. It's at the heart level. What do we actually give worth to in desire? Jesus answered, verse 8, It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. It's going back to Deuteronomy again saying, look, don't follow those other gods. Worship me. And then we get the final temptation, verse 9. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. What's the devil's strategy here? He's actually going to use the Word of God. He's going to twist it. He's going to manipulate it. That's another way the devil can work. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Okay, and this, this is in the context where the people were, you know... Way back in, they're whining and complaining, and, you know, we, we want this. We're not satisfied. Give us water, Moses. Give us water. And, and uh, he will actually disobey God, and instead of following the Lord's instructions and commanding, he will strike the rock, and he will disobey. And we see, in contrast, Jesus' obedience. And then verse 13, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. We'll come back to that opportune time. But now let's consider the impression that this leaves on us. The impression that this leaves on us. Last week we said, and this is kind of an overarching theme for the series, the real Jesus is always available to work with us to build his kingdom. The reality, though, as we work for his kingdom, the reality of the battle is we'll face some attack. If we're not doing anything, we might, we might not get attacked. But as we move forward, let's expect attack. Now, what's the truth that we can have impressed upon us today. The real Jesus is always with us in our battles against the devil. The real Jesus is always with us in our battles against the devil. Now, let's, let's break this down a little bit. First of all, it's the real Jesus. Not the Jesus of our imagination, not the Jesus of the media, not the Jesus of whoever, but it's the Jesus of the Bible. 
that is fully God, fully man. Why does that matter? Well, in his full humanity, he understands us. But in his full divinity, he is with us. I love what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews 4, verse 14. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's grace, throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Again, he can empathize with us in a unique way because he's experienced it all. Not, not just some abstract force, but Jesus in his humanity has experienced all that we do. Have you suffered physically? Jesus has. Have you been betrayed? Jesus has. Have, has somebody just given you a, wrong, a raw deal? He's been through it all and he gets it. And at the same time, he's the son of God. So he's available. Not just the idea of Jesus, but the real Jesus is available to us. We just have to come and pray and invite him in and ask him. That we can find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, what's grace? Grace is unmerited favor. It's the grace that saves us. And it's the grace that we need every single day. That's available to us. Now, the real Jesus is always with us in our battles against the devil. Let's talk about the enemy for a moment. Just be honest with yourself. Anybody have a hard time just really grasping the devil? And you're like, I don't even really want to think about that. I, the Jesus stuff, yes, great. I'm all about that. But the devil seems kind of like, I don't know, kind of weird. Is that real? Okay. How do we know what we know to be true? If we believe that Scripture is true, then that's what frames our thinking. Now, let me give you some passages here that I think give us a little bit of the complexity, some of the nuance of evil and the devil. So who is the enemy? Well, first of all, we know it's not God. James says this in 1.13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. 1 Peter 5.8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
Do you believe this to be true? I mean, really, do you take this seriously? We should. I love you too much to sugarcoat it. I mean, this is, I mean, the devil's going to go after our kids, our families. When we try to make progress, we, he, he will twist things. He will distort things. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And then from Ephesians 6, 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So what's the battlefront? What's the battle? I mean, what's the territory over which the battle takes place? Well, let's look back to Jesus. Look back to this encounter. What's the devil going after? If you are the Son of God, he's questioning the assurance of his identity as the Son of God. Hey, if you're really this, then do some magic tricks. Worship me. Renounce your father. Give up your identity. Don't take the hard road here. I'm going to give you everything that you need. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself off the temple. Surely the angels will protect you. Do a magic trick here, Jesus. Don't go down the path that your father has for you. Now, again, we're not Jesus, but the pattern is similar. He will attack our heart, the deepest part of ourself, the CEO of ourself, our deepest commitments, our hopes, our trust. Now, think about heart for a moment. What is, it's the deepest part of who we are. I'll just put it in simple terms. I'm an old coach. I think like a coach. When, you, when the coach sees the player, says, you know what? Your heart is not in this right now. What does that mean? It's your commitment. You might know the plays. You might know the right things, but your, your commitment is not there. And that will affect everything else. This is a summary of how I think Satan works. Satan questions the certainty of our identity and our fulfillment as children of God. If he can get us to question that, it's more than simply doing wrong things, but it's getting at our heart, getting at our desires. I think Tim Keller's take on this is insightful. He says this, what the heart trusts, the mind justifies, the emotions desire, and the will carries out. If Satan can get you to consent with your mind to a God of loving grace, but get your heart to believe that you must do X, Y, and Z in order to be a worthy, lovable, and valuable person, he will be most satisfied. 
Let that sit on you for a moment. If he can, if he can get you to doubt that, if he can get you to question your identity as a child of God, if he can get you to say, yeah, I know this to be true. I know that I didn't earn it. I know that it's grace. I know that he's the first mover. But I still got to do this. I still got to live up. If he can get us to question that, he's got to step. Now, what do we do? What do we do? If this is real, and if, if this word is true, then it is real. What do, we, what do we do? Well, I can tell you a lot of things. I mean, we can be in the Word, we can pray, we can be around people. I'm going to give you a slightly different take, though. A word for us today is to train your heart. To train your heart. The deepest part of you, train your heart. Now, Bible, prayer, people, great stuff, all that. I want to put a little spin on it today, though. I gave you this challenge last week, and I'm going to give it to you again today. Because here's what I think we do sometimes in church. We, want, we make things abstract, and we just make it an idea, and then it's easy to dismiss. Say, tomorrow. I'm going to make it concrete. Now, here's the challenge I gave to you last week. Between now and Easter, read one of the Gospels with someone disconnected from church or Jesus. That's the challenge. Now, I'm thrilled with some of the responses I've heard already. I heard somebody said, you know, I've got, a, I've got an adult kid that, you know, it's kind of been a little rocky. Parent sends something out to the kid and says, you know what? I'd actually really enjoy doing that with you. Wow. Got somebody else that said, uh, you know what, I've got a friend that I grew up with who's kind of walked away from church, is kind of in this whole deconstruction thing. And he said, I sent the challenge out. And he said, you know what, I, I don't necessarily want to read the gospel with you. I've kind of been there, done that. But would you read this book with me? What an opening. What an opportunity. Right? Somebody else just connected with somebody that's just kind of loosely connected with the church. So yeah, let's go. But here's what happens. When we actually read the Word of God and we actually read about Jesus, can there be anything more compelling than how He's actually described in the Word of God? Amen? And to do that with somebody. Just talk about it. What do we see about Jesus here? And here's the other piece of this. If you take that challenge seriously, you're going to need some help. Because the first, probably the hardest thing to do is to just make the ask. I'm going to need to pray. I'm going to need to be in the Word. I'm going to probably need some other people praying with me and alongside me. But take the challenge. Take that step. and see what God does. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for 
this clear picture that you give us of Jesus and how Jesus fights the battles. So be with us now, Lord. Show us the next right thing to do and give us the strength to do it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.